Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, we welcome back a, a frequent visitor to our program, the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, and that would be Sean Harding. He is the 12th president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau and has been in that position since 2019, and that is an elected position, by the way, I thought I would mention. Sean is a third-generation farmer, and we'll talk a little bit more about his uh, his farming and his family farm and all that sort of thing later on. But uh, right now, Sean, uh, we welcome you back to the program, and I thought we would start off with uh, uh, talking about how inflation is affecting farming. Well, you're just going to jump right in there, Don. <laughs> That's right. I want to get to the meat. <laughs> uh, it is a, a tremendous effect on farming and has been really tough on our guys. Uh, you know, input costs, inflation of, of input costs have have really squeezed the margins. Uh, uh, and that's really what we work on, of course, in, in our business is, is what's the margin. And then we had, uh, for time, we had some higher prices right after the Ukraine war started. Uh, a lot of grain prices shot up around the world. That has settled and come back. And so that certainly is is not helping. Um, I would say prices are, are decent. They're not great. Uh, but then when you have you know inflation on everything from fuel to fertilizer to uh, really just anything that we operate with, uh, tractor parts, uh, you know, equipment parts, so it's it's become a real problem. It's a real problem for every American, every citizen, right? Uh, but uh, certainly a problem on the farm as well. Don. So, how do you uh, pass on the cost of inflation? And is there a uh, is there a gap between when the, your prices of raising the crops uh, does not match up with your time of selling the crops? Right, and that's the. Uh, I don't know if interesting is the right word, uh, part of agriculture. And, and I think most people maybe know this from a, from afar, but just to walk you through it, uh, you're borrowing money probably the first of the year to put seed and fertilizer and in the ground uh, to grow a crop. And you're obviously going to harvest that at the end of the year. And so when you buy something at an inflated price and then by the time you get to the end of the year, your prices have dropped. It can really be a squeeze. Uh, certainly, farmers are smart. They use uh, all the tools that they have available to uh, contract ahead with with prices and different things like that. But but that you know is a challenge as well. You're you're sort of playing the market, guessing the market. So um, that that's part of the problem. You know, it's a you're getting paid at one time, um, and farmers are price takers. You know, a lot of farmers say it this way, <laughs> we're the only people that pay retail for everything and then sell our products at wholesale. Uh, and so that that's not a really good system and, and why we have such a challenge at agriculture. Um, so that's that's the dynamic that can be set up and, and is really worrisome for us. Yeah. I had a great friend when I lived in Scotland County who uh, had a large farm operation and I I asked him one time, I said, uh, how long have you been farming? And he told me, and I said, well, and he said, I think I've got just enough money to farm 10 more years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, there is a lot of jokes about the, uh, you know, if farmers won the lottery, they'd, they'd farm a few more years and those kind of things. So 
unfortunately, that's the situation we're in sometimes, a real squeeze financially. Well, you know, uh, we forget about the cost of money, too, because uh, oh, yes. farmers are hitting the bank, I guess, uh, annually and borrowing for that season. So uh, you begin taking down money and now interest rates are up. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And and you know what's uh, what's also interesting about that is that we have a whole generation of farmers who have not dealt with the high cost of money, who, who have not dealt with, because these are inflation numbers and, and interest numbers that we haven't seen since really going back into the 80s. So you have a lot of people who were sort of used to, you know, borrowed money at three, four, five percent. And now you're talking, you know, six, seven, eight percent. So they, these are different numbers uh, that we're having to deal with there. You know, that's where, as I mentioned, that farmers are price takers on a lot of our crops and commodities. But that's where we've really seen uh, this revival of of sort of selling straight to consumers. Um, and that gives some farms in some situations the opportunity to set price. And that certainly can help you when we have these inflationary times. Now, I guess uh, I'm I'm assuming that uh, growing crops like soybeans or cotton or tobacco or peanuts is a little bit different as far as the uh, adjustment period than, say, raising chickens or hogs, because you, the period between raising and selling is a little different. Yes. And, um, you know, those markets, well, each market uh, has its own dynamics. I'll say it that way. You know, with, with chickens, you, you're you're doing that a lot faster. Pork's a little longer of a market. Uh, but then when you go into the grain markets, these, these are all world markets now. Um, and so you're dealing with, again, I mentioned the war in Ukraine situation, uh, but you're dealing with Brazil. What's the, what's the crop in Brazil look like? And in South America, uh, you're dealing with trade. What's the trade look like with China and other other places? Um, and so that's what makes these markets just uh, jump all around uh, sometimes. Uh, you know, the peanut market's a little bit different. Um, cotton market, most people don't know this, but the cotton market is really based on the price of oil. And we know that the price of oil has been tremendously high here recently. So because that's that's made uh, poly polyurethane, some of those things are made of oil. So, um, so there's there's so many factors that go into marketing, and and that's why I try to remind people that farming is really a business. You know, we all we all love farmers. We all love the the idea of farming, and and you'll have many uh, folks say that you know it's a livelihood. It's it's a way to raise my family, and I love that, and that's great. But Don, it's got to be a business, just just like your business and anybody else's business out there. If it's not a business first, you, it won't be a livelihood very long. Exactly. So uh, North Carolina and its farming, uh, I guess if you go back, say, 40 or 50 years ago, uh, we probably did not export as much as we're exporting today. What are the crops that we're exporting the most of these days? Well, we export a lot of sweet potatoes. Uh, we've talked about sweet potatoes on your program many times as far as the the rise of that crop in our state uh, really works well with some of our uh, tobacco farmers with the labor situation, having both, both labor forces. Um, and so we export a lot of those sweet potatoes to, uh, to Europe. 
they like North Carolina sweet potatoes. Uh, we export a lot of pork. A lot of our pork will go to China, uh, but then other places, uh, Mexico and Canada are our two, you know, as you would expect, our two closest neighbors, our two largest trading partners, and and they buy a lot of uh, pork from us as well, and as well as chicken, uh, poultry. So um, and those would probably be some of the top export product. Oh, well, and then we all, <laughs> I just sort of assume on tobacco, but I shouldn't assume. Uh, everybody should understand we're still number one in tobacco. And then, you know, a lot of that tobacco uh, will go out of here, um, you know, to, to China, but then the other countries as well. And so that's that would probably be our top export products. Yeah. Now, this is just sort of an aside, but somebody told me and I'm, you know, I'm not very experienced at shopping, but there is a difference between yams and sweet potatoes. <laughs> oh, you brought up a, a really interesting topic there, but yes, yes, that is true. The 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 true, and, and of course, you probably grew up as I did here in North Carolina. A lot of things were called yams um, that were sweet potatoes, uh, but the South American folks will tell you quickly that they have uh, a true yam, uh, which is it's more of a white looking potato, uh, a little bit coarser perhaps than what we're used to, and uh, and a, a totally different product. And uh, my friend over at the Sweet Potato Commission, uh, Michelle Granger, wouldn't want me to get off this topic without saying sweet potatoes is one word. So uh, that's that's what they keep pushing. Sweet potatoes is one word. Well, I certainly uh, you know, you're exactly right. I came up thinking yams and sweet potatoes were one and the same. And it's kind of interesting to find that they're really not. Uh, I don't know that I've ever had a true yam. Uh, I think everything I've ever had has been a sweet potato, as far as you I see, know. Yeah, you see them a lot in the Caribbean, if you ever get a chance to travel there and, and walk through a grocery store. Uh, but South America is rare. Uh, and certainly, they're, they're, I'm sure they're scientifically um, pretty close to being the same family. Uh, but But we don't call them yams anymore. Sweet potatoes here. And they're very sweet. <laughs> So getting back to the import, do we import much in agricultural products or are we pretty much uh, an exporter? Well, I, we do import a lot of agricultural products. And the one that comes to the top of my mind is is we are what we call a grain deficit state in North Carolina. That means we can't grow enough grain to feed all these animals. Uh, we have about 8 million uh, pigs. And I don't know how many chickens, but a whole lot of chickens as well. And those animals eat every day, just like we do. So uh, we're bringing in a lot of corn from the Midwest, uh, mainly by rail. Uh, but we will, we will, if, if the situation is right, sometimes bring in corn uh, from the ports in Wilmington and, and um, Moorhead City. So that's, that's the number one thing. Of course, everyone knows that, uh, you know, things like bananas and avocados that we don't grow here. Yeah. That we uh, enjoy so much or are in the grocery stores. And so we import a lot of those products as well. So basically what percentage of our agricultural overall is import, I mean, is exported compared to sold domestically? One of the ways that we talk about that, just to kind of remind our farmers and this is the way I've always heard it said is that like one in every six rows. So, you know, we, we plant corn in rows and uh, so in soybeans and cotton and other crops about one in every six rows 
has got to go away from here. We got to export it. So, um, you know, it's a very important market for us. Uh, certainly, you know, we're a growing state. We got a lot of people here in North Carolina, 10 and a half million people um, that, that need to eat. And we, but our farms are so productive uh, that we have to export some of these products we grow. And, and that's a big part of what we do. And, um, you know, that's, I serve on the trade advisory uh, committee for American Farm Bureau. Uh, we're certainly involved in trade and, and, and all the time looking for new partners to trade with around the world. I guess that ends up being about 17, 18% then of our agricultural products are exported. Yep. Uh, I guess yep. that's about right. Yep. That's right. Well, that's interesting. And, and compared to say 20 years ago or 30 years ago, has that risen significantly? It has. Our numbers, you know, do fluctuate from, from certain years, but uh, overall, I think trade continues to rise. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we've got a well-respected name across the world. Our guest is Sean Harding. He's the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. And of course, we're talking about farming and how it uh, affects uh, all of us as consumers, as well as it being a business that uh, is very important to the North Carolina economy. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back with another segment with Sean Harding. You stay tuned. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Climb puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have as our guest, frequent visitor to our program, Sean Harding, the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. Uh, Sean is uh, elected to that position by other farmers, and he and his family have been farming for, uh, they're in the third generation. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your farming and uh, what you do in a later segment. but. Uh, Right now, I wanted to uh, to turn to uh, other topics, and one of them I wanted to talk about a little bit is just how important research is to farming and how much progress we've made, uh, a real tribute to our two primary uh, state institutions that deal with farming, and I guess that would be North Carolina State University and and uh, North Carolina A&T. So talk a little bit about uh, 
one, the progress we've made and how much money uh, research has uh, created and how productive farms are today compared to, say, 20 years ago. It's, it's really mind-boggling when you look at the numbers and look at what we've been able to do. Um, you know, you always think, well, we're, we're never going to be able to, to grow. I'll use one, one crop, uh, corn. You know, we're, we're never going to be able to reach the 200 bushel an acre mark. And then it's the 300 bushel acre mark. It just continues to grow. And all of that uh, happens because of research and technology and and new innovations, new products, new um, just incredible research is done, as you mentioned, at two land-grant universities, North Carolina State University, A&T State University, and, and a lot of research done in private companies right here in our backyard, and uh, the Bears and the BASFs of the world uh, that are in Research Triangle Park. Um, so these tools allow farmers to to grow more. Uh, and what's so important about that and what we want to always share with the consumer is uh, we're growing more on less land. Uh, we're doing it with less water. Uh, we're doing it with less of the natural resources around us. Um, and that that's just, you know, and that, again, obviously that helps to keep the cost of food down for consumers and for everyone. Um, we, um, in, Nor in the United States, we spend Oh, uh, somewhere around 10, 12 percent of our disposable income on food. And that's about as cheap as it is anywhere in the world. So, you know, this is why we are always talking to um, to our legislators. We just, you know, passed a budget and, and talking about the need for research um, and helping our universities. Um, and just because it's not just good for the farmers, it's good for all of our society. Uh, well, uh, of course, the University of North Carolina system as a whole is so highly rated, but uh, the two that, uh, as we said, that deal so much with agriculture are NC State University and A&T University. Uh, and uh, it is interesting how some of these research areas overlap to other uh, research universities like Duke and, and UNC Chapel Hill. So uh, uh, I, I'm not sure that the public as a whole understands just how important research is. You're exactly right. And and we know that, uh, you know, each university sort of specializes and, and has special departments, but I'm always impressed with how they work together. Uh, NC State works with, uh, with Duke, you know, because food is a new health, right? We, we're talking yeah. about how food is, you know, the health properties of food. And, and that certainly uh, applies to the health field. And uh, a and I, I love their uh, mission of working with smaller farms and um, and helping the small farmers out as well. So I, I think that's, we've just got a lot of synergy uh, here with the university systems. And even East Carolina, closer to where I'm from, down east, uh, has gotten into the biotech and, and looking at some of that. So um, and it's just it's just so important. And a lot of it is and it's just the nature of what they do. A lot of it is not uh, in the media. It's not splashy. You, your people, a lot of people wouldn't know what's going on, but it's really important to agriculture. And we would uh, be remiss if we didn't mention the work that's going on at UNC Charlotte. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and a little bit know, more uh, related to food processing, I guess, in Charlotte than uh, agriculture, but uh, uh, very important. 
we, we're going to get in trouble here if we start calling out too much, uh, Mr. <laughs> Curtis. But Appalachian State does a lot of work up there with sustainable agriculture. Uh, and so we can go down the list. I mean, there's a lot of schools doing a lot of good things. Well, I guess, like you say, we can get in a lot of trouble because <laughs> three of the uh, universities in this area have uh, extensive programs going on in uh, marine science. And, of course, fish is uh, essentially a, a commodity. We we love our, our fishermen and, and aquaculture. We consider them part of agriculture. Uh, but UNC Wilmington does a fantastic job down on the coast with oysters. Uh, we could, yeah, you're right. We could, we could go find one just about everywhere. Yeah. And you're right. Sooner or later, we're going to get in trouble by leaving somebody <laughs> out. So let's just apologize in general. But I, I think uh, one of the things that's always sort of made North Carolina one of the leaders of the so-called New South has been our heavy emphasis on education. And education is not only undergraduate education, but so much of uh, the research that goes on happens on the college campuses. Absolutely. And and then, you know, I will put another plug in for our, our land grants because of the great extension programs that they have. So it's it's one thing to do research and find a, a new technology. It's another thing to tie that back to the farmer and how you can help make him successful. And then, of course, now we're all having this uh, climate discussion and so there's a lot of work, a lot of research that needs to be done in that space to figure out what can be done. We, you know, we really talk about agriculture is part of the answer to the climate um, problems. And and so, you know, what does that look like? And so there's a lot of research going in, into that right now. You know, in the broadcasting industry, we know how much better we are at weather forecasting, but weather is really important to the farmer. And we now have weather forecasts that are far more dependable six, seven, eight days out than we had maybe 20 years ago, and even especially more than 40 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, it is that, it is that thing. I mean, again, I don't want to state the obvious here, but is that, that thing that we deal with with agriculture that uh, we just can't control. Uh, and so what's the best you can do is try to have the most accurate forecast, but yeah, I'm amazed at, at, at forecasting now, and uh, it's not just about storms, uh, but we're looking at heat and humidity and heat units and all these things. Uh, so it, it's it's much uh, advanced. You're right. Well, you know, I, I think I'm not sure whether it was you or the Agriculture Commissioner who's on the program from time to time as well, uh, said that uh, one time he said, you know, we we're, were talking about uh uh, a season where we had a lot of rain. And he said, you know, actually too much rain is a bigger problem to the farmer than not enough rain. And that was surprising to me. Yes. I mean, I, I think uh, that's always been the, the thought process in agriculture. Uh, we don't have a lot, but we do have some irrigation in North Carolina. So, and and I think a lot of uh, drip irrigation has become the new way. So, you know, obviously if it's dry, you can irrigate, but if it's if it's if it's too wet, it's sometimes it's really hard to get that water off the off the land. So we've had a decent season this year as far as rain. Uh, probably the driest part of the state has been the northeast of our state uh, was was somewhat dry, but um, the southeast I think actually got some good rain, and and I think we've had you know, and if we've had an extended, I don't want to say wet spell, but we've been having more rain the last ten years uh, than than um, 
you know, dry spells. So that's concerning to me because I just wonder if we're prepared for the drought that may be coming. Yeah. Well, that, uh, you know, it, it is cyclical. There's no question about that to some degree. So, uh, I, you know, I know your farm, your family farm raises some fruit. I don't know if you raise watermelons or not, but I was going to ask you about a question or something I've been told. And that is that watermelons are usually sweeter in dry weather than they are in wet weather. Is that true? Well, yes, uh, that is true. I can attest to that from having some crops that were a little too wet and and uh, having some the other way. Uh, we do grow watermelons on our farm. Um, another uh, crop that comes up and some people believe sweet corn is sweeter in a drier year uh, than when it gets too much water. So, um, you know, those factors play into taste and and some of the things that we think about. Uh, cantaloupes, another one, just, you know, all the melon family like it a little bit drier. That's that's interesting because you would think uh, if you weren't in farming and didn't have the benefit of the knowledge that you have, that it would be the opposite. That I would think a wet season would be better. Yeah. Uh, we grow, uh, we, the, the country, some of our best uh, fruit is grown out on the desert because we, it can control the dry climate uh, and then just water it, what it, where it needs it. So it's really backwards. I agree with you, Don, but that's, that's mother nature. Well, as I said in a later segment, we want to talk a little bit about your family farms and how you've transitioned from uh, tobacco into other crops and things. That's, that's kind of interesting because that's happening sort of all over. So uh, overall, uh, in, in regard to uh, research, one thing we did not point out is how many federal dollars come into these universities that uh, support these research programs and how many jobs that creates. Yes, that's a great point. Uh, USDA has a tremendous research uh, presence here in North Carolina, along with our universities, again, uh, working in synergy together. Um, but obviously, federal dollars are extremely important. Um, I've just gotten off the plane this morning from Washington, D.C., and uh, in, in talking about issues up there with some of our, our leaders, and, and we always bring up how important uh, research is whether it's in USDA or in our universities, but it's a it's a collaboration, federal, state, uh, and and it's really really important as we try to feed this world. Really, is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Now, uh, compared to uh, other states, how would you rate uh, North Carolina as far as how we lead our farmers with research and development? Well, North Carolina is my world and I focus here and, and, um, but I do, you know, travel the country and talk to other Farm Bureau presidents and other states. And what I hear is, and I mentioned this earlier, our extension service is one of the top, uh, extension services in the nation. And that is so important as we, as we talk about research at our universities, uh, because that's, you know, that's really that link between the farmer and the research to figure out, okay, what does this practically mean on my farm? Uh, you know, it's easier to understand with stories. And my story of no-till, uh, we started no-till in the late 90s, was because of my local extension director. He showed us the way. We were able to go see how to do that. 
and transition from a tillage type farm to a more no-till farm. Um, and of course, all the benefits that come along with that from environment uh, to and, and really economic benefits as well to, to me. And so that became, you know, that was one of the big things that really changed the look of, of farming in uh, in really in eastern North Carolina, but really all across our state. So that's just one example. We could go, you know, with other examples. But I, the extension service, I cannot say enough how much that means to our farmers. Our guest is Sean Harding. He's the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. And in our next segment, we're going to get Sean to sort of tell us about the Farm Bureau, what its role is, and how extensive its programs are. We will do that right after we take time out for these messages. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. I'll go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, our guest is the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, Sean Harding. And, Sean, we've talked about... uh, inflation. We've talked about uh, rising prices and how that affects the farmer. We've talked about interest rates. Uh, We've talked about energy prices and gasoline and all that sort of thing. And then we spent extensive time talking about research and how important that is to North Carolina. But let's talk a little bit about the Farm Bureau because it's sort of a unique operation. It is not a part of state government, uh, but it uh, in many ways functions a little bit like a supplement to many of the government services. So Give us an overview of what exactly the North Carolina Farm Bureau does, how extensive its services are, and how it uh, serves the farmers of North Carolina and people who grow crops. Sure. Well, it's a, yeah, we use the word unique organization uh, sometimes with the Farm Bureau. Um, I love to uh, remind folks who who, uh, are not familiar with that word Bureau that, that, uh, that's just another word for organization. So it's just a farm organization that was started in 1936 by uh, farmers who were in desperate times uh, then and needed a, a voice. And that's really the tagline that we use, uh, Mr. Curtis, that we're the voice of agriculture. Um, so we have a, a state organization that is really uh, only has a hundred members. 
because we have 100 counties, as you know, in North Carolina. So each county has a county Farm Bureau that's affiliated with our state organization, North Carolina Farm Bureau. Those affiliates have members in their counties. Um, and so those members are also members of North Carolina Farm Bureau. And then, of course, we're affiliated with American Farm Bureau all the way up on a national level. Um, we're the second largest Farm Bureau in the country by membership. And that number is uh, growing. We're at 635,000 member families now in North Carolina. Uh, we we charge uh, $25 to be a member and I haven't changed that since the 80s. So I think we haven't adjusted for inflation, <laughs> but we're we're proud that we've been able to keep it there. And uh, member family, so we always uh, multiply that by 2.5. And, and, you know, that, that means we're touching well over a million, almost a million and a half people in the state. Um, so we feel like we have a pretty strong presence. Um, in 1953, that Farm Bureau uh, group needed to help uh, rural citizens find insurance coverage. They didn't have any insurance coverage. And so we started an insurance company. Um, a lot of people in the state know us for insurance and, and that's okay. We're proud that we have a, a very um, helpful single state insurance operation uh, to help people in this state with those needs. Uh, but our organization is primarily an agriculture organization. We advocate for farmers in Raleigh and in Washington, D.C. Um, on the county level, folks advocate for farmers at their county commissioner meetings and, and work in those areas. So wherever a voice for farmers needs to be heard, we try to be in that space. You know, you mentioned um, we are not a government organization, uh, but certainly we work very closely with government organizations. Department of Ag. Um, we've talked about our universities. We work really closely with them. Um, all of the commodity groups that are in our state. Uh, one of the things that I think has helped make us be so successful with agriculture in North Carolina is is our synergy, is our our unity. We all, you know, try to speak from the same page, and and uh, and that's been helpful in the past. So that's that's a little bit about uh, our organization. We we're very proud to say we're grassroots. In fact, in the fact that uh, our policies come from these counties uh, every year, and and that's how we operate. Let's talk a bit, a little bit about the legislative priorities that you have. Of course, the General Assembly in North Carolina is sort of wrapping up things, but you are constantly working on the next uh, session of the General Assembly, and of course, there's federal legislation that you are concerned about. So let's start with federal leg legislation. What's uh, on the agenda, and how important is it to the farmer that it pass? Well, the biggest thing uh, that we've been talking about all year is Farm Bill. Um, and for your general public that may not know, uh, the Farm Bill is a piece of legislation that we do every every six years. Um, and so it is up in 2023. It actually expires at the end of this month. And we've been talking about it all year. Um, it will not be shocking to anyone in the audience to probably know it's not done. <laughs> and it doesn't look like it's going to get done. Uh, but but that's Washington. Sometimes things move a little slower than we would hope. But um, but we've we've just been talking about that piece of legislation all year. It's, it's really important to farmers. Um, there's a lot in it and, and I, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but I will say the biggest thing is crop insurance. Um, that is where we have our crop insurance program 
that helps farmers in the times of disaster. Certainly, we know about disasters here in North Carolina and how imper- important crop insurance is. Um, that that farm bill is is about twenty percent farm programs and about eighty percent um, with food uh, assistance programs. And so your SNAP program and all that is included in that. And so we're hopeful that those that program will get uh, funded, that bill will get passed, and and we're working on that right now on the federal level. You know, as an outsider, it would seem to me that things are moving so fast, not only in the environment, but also in the economy, that uh, six years may seem like a long time for a farm bill to be in effect. Uh, would you favor a shorter period of time? Is that uh, something that makes sense, or are you happy with the six-year term? Don, that's a great question. I would um, – farmers like stability. I'll answer that question that, that way. I think we would probably be okay with keeping it for six years, but we need to get it reauthorized, and we need to get it updated. So you, you and I started this conversation talking about inflation six years ago was a long, you know, we had a lot different numbers, base numbers uh, than we have now. And so we need to, to re, you know, reauthorize this farm bill and update it with the numbers that we have now. So it's a balance, right? You know, if you try to do this every year, uh, we've seen the disaster that that could be. So I, I don't think we'd want to look at it too closely. Um, but I, I do think farmers favor stability. We want to know What's the, what's the rules going to be every year? And then we can operate. So we talked about the federal legislation and the priorities. What about uh, the uh, priorities that you have for the General Assembly of the state of North Carolina? Well, we've just, uh, this is very timely, but we've just, I think, passed the budget uh, or they're voting on it actually today, I think. Yeah. Um, but so we've got a long list in there that we're looking at of, of things that are coming. Um, I think we've got some good things in there for agriculture in the state budget. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is, is food manufacturing. Uh, we grow a lot of things in this state that go away from this state to be uh, processed, further processed. And, and why couldn't we do that closer to home? Um, we need a cheese plant, Mr. Curtis. Uh, we, we need a place for, most of our consumers don't drink as much milk as they used to. Uh, they consume their milk by eating it, you know, in cheese. And so I really believe if we could get uh, a cheese manufacturer to come to North Carolina, we could help our dairy farmers in this state. Um, and so we're looking at opportunities in the food manufacturing space. And uh, the General Assembly has been very helpful in that. And and so we'll continue to, to do that. Um, there's you know, always issues on the state level, more uh, regional issues that we deal with every year. Um, one of the things that we're talking a little bit about here that I'm hearing from my farmers is, is um, believe it or not, wildlife. Uh, we've done a tremendous job of conserving wildlife in our state to the fact that there are deer in your backyard, I'm sure, in Raleigh. Yes, I have <laughs> I have six. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it is a real problem uh, for our farmers, uh, deer. Uh, now we have, uh, you know, the feral swine are a real problem. Uh, and so we had a real wildlife problem in this state. And let's face it, let's all be honest. Uh, people don't hunt like they used to. We don't have as many hunters as we used to. So 
this is becoming an issue that we're we're working with our wildlife resources commission to to talk about how what are some of the fixes for that. What, That's some uh, of the what are issue. some of the what are some of the fixes to uh, because I mean deer have become a real problem inside the city limits of towns and communities because they're basically pretty safe. Yeah, and and so we've got to have uh, you know look at our hunting laws and see if there's some way to expand some of that, um, and you know it's become such a problem now that we actually have a, a disease coming in our, our deer. Uh, and that's a sign where mother nature is saying you've got too big a herd. So we've got to lower this herd. Uh, we've got to have ways to do that. And like I said, we want to, we want to work through that and, and talk with our wildlife people to, to do it. The feral, uh, feral swine issue is a real issue. And, and I'll bring up something here uh, because of a of an animal disease that we're really afraid of in the pork industry and that's called african swine fever um it's it's been in china it's been in other places it's not been in the united states yet um but if it comes and and i'm certainly hopeful that it won't it will probably be in this wild or feral swine uh, herd and so this is why we've been trying to trap eradicate move uh, get rid of some of these animals, uh, but they're, they're really it's really a difficult situation. Well, talk a little bit uh, before we get too far along about the transition in your family farm. You were uh, you grew up, I guess, as a tobacco farmer, but you've transitioned into fruit and vegetables. Uh, tell me a little bit about your farm and your family farm because you're still a farmer. Yes, I, I try to get home as much as I can. Uh, I still love it on the farm. Uh, I have two boys, two sons, uh, 30 and, and 25 that are back on the uh, farm now and, and really are running the operation daily for me. So we're in that transition process. Um, it's really hard to do that, to pass a farm from one generation to the next, but we're working towards that. Obviously, this is a full-time job for me here in Raleigh. Uh, but I love to come home on the weekends and and help out where I can. We uh, we do grow fruits and vegetables. You mentioned probably known for strawberries more than anything else. Uh, but right now it's pumpkin season, and so we are are certainly into the pumpkins and sweet potatoes. We've talked about that. It's it's been seasonality. So whatever's in season is what we try to produce. Um, and we're a a little bit different. Uh, whereas we have a retail operation on our farm, people come to our market and and can pick their own crops or, uh, or, you know, buy it right there from the farmer. How long does it take to grow a pumpkin? So we'll put our pumpkins in behind the strawberries. Our strawberry season will end in June and then we will double crop or raise two crops. We'll raise the pumpkins behind the strawberries. And so you're talking June to what are we here about the middle of September when they start to get ready. And so uh, another question, how many pumpkins can you raise in an acre? <laughs> you can raise a lot of pumpkins. A lot of it depends on if you're trying to raise little pumpkins or you're trying to raise big pumpkins. And and so we have to have a little bit of both. Uh, you know, we we do the little pie pumpkins uh, for our field trips for our kids. Every kid comes out, gets a pumpkin to take home, and they can't take a big pumpkin home. They take a little one. Um, it, and the pumpkins are really, it's amazing. You talk about uh, different varieties. There's so many different varieties now from white to, to colored and, and different pumpkins. So, uh, and then you got to have the big ones. You got to have the carvers for, for the folks that want to carve. So, yep. 
Well, it's interesting. Now, uh, are pumpkins like watermelons, or are they better off in dry seasons or wet seasons? Better off in dry seasons. So, uh, but mainly because uh, we really struggle with pumpkins because of uh, some of our diseases with our humidity. The best place to grow pumpkins up in the mountains where it's a little bit cooler and drier up there. Yeah. Well, we all love our pumpkins and we all love Halloween and thank goodness for you growing the pumpkins and especially those little pumpkins for the little ones. That's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. They really enjoy it. And, uh, it ties our consumers to agriculture. That's what I love about what we do on our farm. Uh, I really think it trained me for 20 years for this job. Our guest is Sean Harding. He, in addition to being a farmer, is also president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. We'll be back with our final segment, and we want to talk about some of the problems the farmers are facing in the area of, of workforce challenges. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Again, our guest is the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, Sean Harding. And we've had a great program. We've learned more about pumpkins and watermelons and things of this nature than uh, I ever expected to learn. But we've also learned about the uh, impact of inflation and rising costs and so forth. Labor, of course, is a huge thing to the farmers. And we want to focus a little bit on uh, your labor and workforce challenges. Uh, immigration is certainly important to you because so many of the workers on farms in North Carolina are immigrants. It is uh, top of mind always in agriculture right now. Uh, you know, I mentioned in the last section, uh, we were talking about the farm bill and we've had, had, uh, you know, federal leaders going around the country having listening sessions with farmers to just hear what they wanted to talk about with the Farm Bill. Now, I need to explain the Farm Bill has nothing to do with farm labor. Uh, that's in Department of Labor. Uh, but what was interesting in those listening sessions is uh, Congressman G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania, who's leading that, every one of them, when they would ask, what's your main problem on the farm? The farmer would say labor. 
And so um, we heard this consistently, and, and this is an issue. Um, and you know what's interesting is it's not just an issue in agriculture anymore. Uh, you're seeing in many sectors, we just do not have enough people to do the work that we need to get done in this country. And, and so it's a real problem. But focusing on agriculture, it's, it's our number one issue. And of course, uh, the impact of inflation there is also a part because the laborers need more money to uh, balance their family budgets. Let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, health insurance because uh, uh, that's a that's a big challenge to your workforce. Oh, health insurance is is always a a challenge. You mentioned the, the you know the rising cost of labor. And then as we talked about sort of tying this together, we're in a sector that is not able to pass that on. You know, we can't just automatically say we're going to charge more for for these crops because of the market and the way it's set up. So that, again, going back to the inflation discussion, that's where the squeeze comes in uh, when, you know, you want to provide benefits to your workers, uh, but it's really expensive and, and hard to do. Um we use a guest worker program here in North Carolina called H2A. Um, it has been very successful. I'll use that word uh, in, for our farmers, uh, but it's also been a very expensive program. It costs about $1,000 per employee to bring someone uh, from, say, Mexico to North Carolina through that H2A program. Um, you're responsible to house them. Uh, and, and so you have that housing cost as well. And then you have a wage on top of that that you have to pay uh, for that worker. So um, it's an expensive program, but the worker, the uh, farmers tell me it's the only way they could continue to farm with that uh, guest worker program called H2A. And so this is the message that we take to Washington constantly. What do you see as far as... Uh students at uh, the primary institutions like NC State and A&T, where they have agricultural schools, how many uh, kids are choosing this as a career? And uh, is this a problem? It's interesting. What I see is excitement around agriculture right now with our students at the universities. And so they love agriculture. They and, and there's so many different types of jobs in agriculture. Uh, we talked about the technology and the research that's needed. Uh, you know, when you start talking about engineering, when you're talking about drones and, and some of these things that are going on. So it's fascinating to, to uh, young people and they're excited about the future of agriculture. Now, they're not excited about picking sweet potatoes. <laughs> They're not excited about some of the jobs that are manual labor and, and rightfully so. They're getting a college degree. They're going in different areas. Um, and so this is where we have, and I don't like the term unskilled labor versus skilled labor because the workers that are are picking my strawberries or they're picking sweet potatoes, or these are skilled laborers uh, that come here from um, many times in this H2A program for 20 and 25 years in a row because they they love this guest worker program. They can come here for eight months, work, send money back to their families in Mexico, and it's really economic development in that country as well. Um, so 
that's you know what I see from young people right now. There's an excitement about agriculture. I hadn't thought about drones, but how would a farmer use drones to increase efficiency? Well, we're looking at uh, opportunities to uh, use some of our crop protection chemicals and spray with drones. And, um, you know, at first thought, you say, well, is that uh, safer or, or better? And it really is because you're using less chemical. You're using it more precisely across the field. Uh, and then think about now we don't have those uh, pieces of equipment on the road traveling from field to field. So there's some real advantages to this, I think, uh, in the future. And, you know, that's it's one of those things where, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you go back 20 years, you're like, oh, we'll never do that. Right. But technology changes things. Well, yes, I, I would imagine 30 years ago, if you told a farmer that one of his most vital pieces of equipment is going to be a laptop computer, he would have laughed at you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, you know, everything that we do now with with computers um, and and these drones are, are are just incredible with their preciseness and how they can uh, you know go across the field. So I, I think it's an emerging technology. We alluded to this earlier of how important research is because we're growing more and more crops on less and less land. But we also have a loss of farmland as North Carolina continues to grow in its economic development in areas other than agriculture. Uh, do we still have plenty of land for farming, or is this going to be a problem? It's going to be a problem. It is a problem. Uh, you mentioned Commissioner Troxler. I know he's on your program, and it's really um, uh, something that he brings up every time I hear him speak. Uh, he's done it's, you know, he's done a lot of work in this area. It's a difficult uh, it's a difficult thing to talk about. One of the primary um, policies that we have at North Carolina Farm Bureau is private property rights, Mr. Curtis. And in your land, you're right to do what you want to. And if if someone walks up with a big check and says, I want to put houses on your land, and maybe you don't have a son or a daughter or somebody wants to come back to farm, it's really enticing and, and hard to keep that land in agriculture. So, um, you know, we've got we certainly have our, our solar farm, our solar energy that's going on farms that takes up land. So I think as a society, we, we need to have discussions about this. Uh, and I know we are in this state. There's a lot of people that are concerned about it because we're growing a lot of houses right now. You mentioned uh, energy just a moment ago when you mentioned solar. Energy costs, of course, very important to the farmer. Uh, are we beginning to get uh, enough solar panels and are we able to harness enough wind that this is helping reduce the cost of operation in farms? I don't, I think we have a lot of room to grow in that area. Um, and I think it's uh, still remains to be seen um, how we're going to energize our farms in the future. Um I, I personally am a I'm I'm more in the wind camp than I am the solar camp. I've seen that be very successful, uh, and certainly there's some talk about wind uh, out on our coast as well. Um, the thing I like about the the wind is we can farm up to the up to them, you know, or underneath them. Uh, mm -hmm. Solar you can't do that, so that's a little bit more of a challenge, you know. And I, I think with solar it's a balance. Uh, there's certainly land that's not as productive as other land. And so we need to be looking at, is there some kind of way to uh, to talk about putting solar in certain spots? So 
look, we're all having this discussion about how we're going to produce energy in the future. And it's also in agriculture as well. So as you look down the road at the crop balance in North Carolina, of course, tobacco is becoming less a factor. Uh, uh, but uh, if you look down at the uh, amount of acreage that is spent on soybeans and cotton and tobacco and and grains and so forth, what do you forecast is going to be our biggest need as far as needing land? Well, we'll... we'll... You know, I'll tell people we'll always grow some tobacco here in North Carolina. I believe I'm safe in saying that. And and certainly that is sort of leveled off at a certain level now. Um, and grain crops will will vary depending on the market. Uh, we could we could grow more cotton, but right now we don't need more cotton. And so uh, I mentioned earlier that we're a corn deficit state. We could grow more corn to feed the animals that we have. Um, but again, we're competing against uh, development and energy and those two sectors are pretty strong so it's hard to compete with that when you're just growing crops now you go up in the mountains um i i'm excited about the christmas tree industry and what it's doing there um certainly we grow a lot of a lot more of our cattle out west and that's very important uh to this state as well so i just i hope communities and counties and 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 farmers will talk and share about how can we keep some of this land uh, in pasture and in forest, because that's important as we talk about climate change in the future. Well, I was getting ready to bring up forestry. We haven't even touched on that. And of course, that is really long-term use of land because it takes a long time to grow a tree. Yes. And, but very important to North Carolina, right? Uh, the forest yeah. industry and, and important to our farmers. Um, and so I, you know, I think that is, again, we need to have a larger discussion about uh, keeping land green for the future as far as helping our climate. Uh, but so I think agriculture is really poised to be uh, on the front lines of climate change and, and climate smart solutions and how we can do those things. Uh, we work closely with USDA uh, to, to come up with some of those programs and we'll continue to do that. You've got about 30 seconds to give me an answer to a quick question. As you go to work on Monday morning, what is at the absolute top of your list of priorities that you will be concerned with next week? Oh, wow. Um, well, okay, I'll do an easy one. Since you're only going to give me 30 seconds, it's fair season, Don. We're going to start talking about the uh, state fair. We just got the Mountain State Fair knocked out and uh, had a really successful mountain state fair. The state fair is important for agriculture. That's where fairs got started. Uh, and so I think that's, that's what I'm going to be working on next week. Great. Wonderful. Sean Harding, president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. Thank you for your time. If you'd like to Thanks. hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises to have another interesting guest next week. So till next week on this same group of stations, we hope you and yours have a very, very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong, 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.